If you look with me, if you'll stand for just a moment, let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Um, the message is really 11 through 15. We're going to look at just two verses tonight, uh, verses 11 and 12, but I'll read through verse 15 so that when we come back next week, we'll be prepared, and I'll just kind of give you an update uh, on what we spoke on this evening. But beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Titus, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Boy, we ought to underline that in our Bible. Amen? Amen. No one gets to escape that thought, that fact. It's appeared to all men. So the salvation of God, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You may be seated. I want to talk a little bit about putting grace into action. And so I'm just going to hit on this first two verses here verses 11 and 12, and so I want to talk about grace itself for a moment, and I think about grace, and I think about how wonderful the grace of God is, for by grace are you saved through faith, amen? Grace is a wonderful thing that God has given to us as believers, and grace is often described as God giving unto us that which we do not deserve. No one deserves heaven. All of us deserve an eternal hell, but God saw fit to bring down grace to man. And so through grace, we find salvation is what he teaches us in this first verse. But I, I want you to also consider, based upon these passages, just a, a deeper meaning of what God's speaking about, about his grace. Once we've received this grace, what are we to do with it once we've received it? And so what do we do with this wonderful grace that God has given unto us? And so this letter, we generally refer to it as an epistle, a pastoral epistle, it's a letter that everyone needs to take in and say, you know, what part do I play in this? What part, what role do I have in this? And so the message contained within are for each of us, and I believe it's for our Christian walk. So I believe we're given as believers the Word of God so that we will use it to do God's will in every situation. And so when I looked at this, I began to think about, am I living uh, in, 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 in response in my life? Am I living in response to the grace that God has shown unto me? And so are you living your life in response to God's grace? So tonight, I want to talk about God's grace. and an act, It's an act of grace, but I want to talk about one aspect of it this evening. If we look here, he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Notice what it says, teaching us. Teaching us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So I want to just speak on this for just a few minutes tonight about what God says in just these two passages here. First of all, no man can deny the fact that salvation has appeared unto them based upon the truth of God's Word. So when we read the Word of God, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. It doesn't say to just a few or a certain. It says it has appeared to all men. Doth not even creation teach us, amen, that God exists, that He's real. And so we understand this truth. And then secondly, notice what it does, what this grace does, teaching us. You ought to underline that in your Bible because the grace of God teaches us something. And so what is it that the grace of God teaches us? It's evident that no man can escape the fact that God's grace has appeared unto them and no man will be able to stand before God and say, look, Lord, I, I just didn't know. 
Because the Bible very clearly tells us that they do know, and there's no man that can escape that. And then according to God's Word, it's appeared before all men, and we know very well that Ephesians says, for by grace are ye saved. That's how you get saved, by grace. Wonderful, wonderful gift of God, the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is one of the most, what I think, spectacular gifts, and through that gift, he said it teaches us, teaching us to do some things. So what is it that God's grace teaches us? Well, notice this, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying ungodliness. Now, what is that? Well, we're talking about to refute or reject or disagree with. This word is only used four times in the Bible, meaning wickedness or irreverence, disrespect, mockery. And, and just to put it more bluntly, it's just sin. And God uses this four times in the Scriptures, and then He says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, the truth is revealed to us. Salvation is revealed to all men. All of us that are saved now, the grace of God now teaches us something that we ought to deny ungodliness. And so in our lives, we should uh, remove ourselves or avoid getting involved in ungodly things. And so what are those ungodly things? Well, it's a myriad of things, but the bottom line is this. It's anything that goes against the truth of God's Word. So you can name any sin you want, and sin is ungodliness. And so it doesn't matter what form or what shape it's in. God said that we should deny that. In other words, we should retract, remove away, refute, reject, move from, or move away from, or avoid getting involved in this ungodliness. And so he tells us to deny that. Then he says this. Not only do we deny ungodliness, but we're to deny worldly lust. Worldly lust. So when you look at worldly lust, it has this idea, overpowering attractions for the secular world. Overpowering attractions for the secular world. So then what is that? (laughs) Well, you say it's sinfulness, isn't it? It's things that draw me in, maybe things that I may covet or things that I want or things that I see in other people and I desire that. I want it for myself. I, I have this lust for these things that are in the world, whether that be the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, whatever the case may be, I desire these things. And God says, deny those worldly lusts. And the word lust, we often look at it uh, to have a sexual connotation, but it doesn't always mean that. We can lust after anything. We can lust after a home or clothes or money. We can lust after anything. Now, a a man can lust after another woman. A woman can lust after another man. A man who's married can lust after someone else's wife and vice versa. All those things can take place, which are true. But the fact is, is God said that we're to deny those worldly lusts. We don't want to be involved in those. We want to reject, refute those things. So what is God's grace teaching us? Well, there is some things that we need to deny, isn't there? There are some things that need to be absent from our life, not to be present in our life. To deny is to reject. And so I have to leave these things out. And then he says this, God's grace teaches us that we should live soberly. Now, this has nothing to do with alcohol. (laughs) Although alcohol can make you drunk, right? And you're no longer sober. In other words, It takes you out of your right mind. And so God tells us or teaches us in this passage that we ought to live sensibly. Now, 
when he said, Deny the worldly lust, he said, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Part of the will of God, then, is for us to live soberly. That's to live sensibly. Uh, when you go in and read the Scriptures, Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God says we ought to live a sensible life. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on 495 in Washington, D.C., or 395, the Shirley Highway, you'll find a lot of people that are not very sensible when they're driving. Now, I've noticed that that occurs here on I-75 as well, that they believe that that 75 is the starting point at which you have the accelerator. And 75 is not the interstate number. That's how fast they have to start out. Beyond that, it goes beyond that. I, I, I've been driving as, as much as 70, and I have felt like I have been standing still when they go by me. Those are not sensible people. Those are fools. And you see them driving. The other night, uh, uh, I think it was Connor and I, he goes, man, look at that car. This car is blazing fast from us, past us, and they are texting, and their car is doing this. We saw them texting, driving, and Lord knows I was going 70. They had to be gone at least 90, and they were texting while doing it and weaving in and out of traffic, and I thought, you know, that's not very sensible, is it? That's not being in your right mind. Now, God says to live sensibly, and we ought to do that in every aspect of our life. Now, whether that's finances, whether that's physical relationships, whether that's emotional relationships, whatever the case may be, we need to live sensibly. We need to live sensibly, live soberly. So he says this, but to think soberly. <laughs> to think soberly is to think clearly, to think in your right mind. Now, what gets us out of our right mind? <laughs> it could be a myriad of things that get us out of our right mind, but to stay sensible is to stop and think. Now, I, I was uh, out with Connor yesterday. We were out on the boat, and uh, I, I want to use this as an illustration. Uh, we got out on the water, and we were up at uh, Williams Reservoir up in Lima, and we like going up there because we catch a lot of fish. But on windy days, the water is so strong, and he has a 55-pound thrust trolling motor on the back of that thing, and what happens is, is we get over toward the one shore and the wind is just starts blowing and blowing and blowing. Now, you have that thing on forward and it's on five. That's the most you can get out of it. I wish it had ten. I don't know what five does for me. But I could just see us and we just keep doing this. And so let's say this is a tree standing there. <laughs> right? Guess how fast we're moving? Not at all. So it kept pushing us into the bank. And as we got into the bank... And we get up against the bank. Uh, we're hitting the rocks. And I said, did you bring the paddle with you? He said, yes, I did. And so he gets the paddle out. And, and, and I told him, I said, now listen, we're going to have to work together here. And we were both getting a little frustrated because it kept driving us back into the rocks and driving us back into the rocks. And so we're trying to push off. And I told him, I said, when you get angry, you're not thinking how anymore. You're not thinking sensibly. What happens to you? You get angry and you stop doing what? You stop thinking. And so I got the paddle out and I'm paddling and I have him turn the motor on and I'm paddling and paddling and paddling. And finally we get out past where the current's trying to pull us back and the wind's blowing us back and we get out there. 
He goes, hey, I think I'll start fishing again. I said, you put that pole away now. <laughs> We're going to the other shoreline now. I'm exhausted. And so I want to get over to the shoreline. But what happens is, is when we stop thinking, we act foolishly, don't we? We're not thinking clearly. And God wants us to live soberly. He says, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Our faith is what should guide us. Our faith is what should cause us to think. Are you with me? That's what the passage is teaching us. And if we're to live soberly, then we're to think clearly. And if you're thinking with God, if you're thinking with truth, you're thinking more clearly. The next one is this. He tells us to live righteously. He says in this passage, we should live soberly, righteously. We should live righteously. So what are we talking about? The Bible is teaching us something, and there is something in the Bible called holiness. It's not preached much from pulpits anymore because it seemingly puts pressure on those that come to church. <laughs> but holiness ought to be a part of our lives. When he talks about this, when he says live righteously, he's saying live innocent or live holy. 1 Peter 1.16 says, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's not just an Old Testament thing. God said that's how we're to live today. Living holy is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So what is living holy then? How do I do this? What, what then is required of me? To live holy, you live according to the truth of God's Word. God said, sanctify them through thy Word. Thy Word is truth, right? So how do I live holy? Well, when you know the Scriptures and you apply them, just like the children did tonight. Wasn't that wonderful? And, and what they are able to do now with that, to keep that in mind, is knowing just those five things, they could share to another little friend how to get to heaven, couldn't they? That, my friends, <laughs> is living holy. You're doing things according to God's will, God's plan, the things that God desires for us. Now, he tells us many, many things in the Scriptures. He says, be angry and... How many of you get angry and don't sin? I can't deny it. I've done it. Sometimes, right? And I'm with you, Chris. I really am. There are times, man, I just feel... I, you ever see a cat when it's mad and the hair stands up on the back of its neck and the claws come out? I feel that way internally sometimes. Anybody ever been there with me? Oh, yeah. And you feel that way, but the thing of it is, is he said, be angry and do what? Sin not. Because we get mad, don't we? And we want to express our will over God's. And so you've got to get to the place where you say, okay, how do I live holy? Well, it says be angry. It doesn't say that we... Couldn't be angry, but he said, be angry and sin not, right? And, and, and he goes on and he tells us not to lie in the scriptures. If I'm going to live holy, I'm not going to be a liar, am I? If I'm going to live holy, I'm going to live according to God's truths, according to his word, according to the things that he requires of me. And, and as I look at this, he said, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. Commandments. So I'm going to keep his word is what I'm going to do. So to live holy... You need to know the Word of God, and you need to apply the Word of God. Now, do we fail? Yes, we do miserably sometimes. But isn't it wonderful that if we'll apply God's Word, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a God we serve. So to live holy, I need to confess my what? Daily. As often as it occurs, I need to confess my sins, to live righteously. And then he says this, not only to live righteously, but to live godly in this present world. Now, the present world in which we live is a pretty rough place to be in. There's a lack of godliness uh, all around us. 
Uh, you see it everywhere. Uh, I rarely watch anything on TV unless I've recorded it or Fox News is on most of the time because you cannot hardly watch anything on television anymore. Everything has an agenda. How many of you agree with that? You watch it and it takes but about 10 minutes before you realize there's an agenda. I don't even care if I'm watching Animal Planet. They got an agenda. They want to teach uh, evolution to the children. I mean, it doesn't matter what you watch on TV today. There's an agenda. And so I try to avoid the agendas. Are you with me? <laughs> but here he says, live godly in this present world. Be devout. Be virtuous. Be dutiful. Be moral. He says in Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This is about our relationship with Him, isn't it? It's not about whether I am or am not watching a program on television, but to live righteously in this present world is a heart that is wanting to serve my God. And so I refute, I reject, I deny ungodliness, I deny worldliness, I live soberly, I live righteously, and through all of that, I'm able to live a godly life. And you say, how do you do that? Well, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. And what God teaches us is that we ought to have a reverence for God. I think one of the greatest and most needful things in local New Testament churches today is this. There's not a fear of God anymore. There's a lack of fear of God. If men and women feared God, I believe the seats would be fuller. If we feared God, we would watch what we say, especially to authorities in our lives. If we feared God, we would have a different viewpoint. If we feared God and we had a reverence for Him, it would cause us to want to witness and to share the gospel with others. If we feared God, we would do things according to His truth, according to His word. I was sharing uh, with an individual the other day. They were very upset about something that happened in their life. And, and I shared with them what God's Word says. And they said, I understand what that says, but let me tell you about my situation, though. <laughs> so what are they saying? I need to discount what God said, because my situation doesn't apply to what God has to say. And I said, if you'll take this principle, I promise you, now, you, you folks have heard me say this verse over and over again in the church. And it's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm trying to share with them, if you'll just stop for a minute, if you'll think, if you'll think soberly, are you with me? Just stop for a minute. Stop being mad. Stop being angry. Stop being upset and listen to this for just a moment, and God can help you through this situation. To live godly, I think we have to let grace abound in us. We have to allow God's grace to help us. Part of God's grace is, I think we can serve God acceptably, and we can have a reverence for God, and all of that comes through the truth of God's Word. You see, when things enter in, and man or woman is put under pressure, and the tension rises... That's whenever we find out where we are spiritually. Because either we'll walk with God and we'll do things according to truth or we'll walk away. What can it cause people to do? Well, it can cause them to do a lot of ungodly things. So let me share this thought with you and I'll finish here. God's grace is a teacher. 
and the Holy Spirit resides in each of us. And so these five areas that God just mentioned about everyone that is saved, it's possible to fulfill that in our lives. Now, how do you know that? Because it says, God's grace bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men. For the grace that, of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. God's grace teaches us something. And so, when I receive salvation, I also receive the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is my teacher. And so, if the Spirit of the Lord is my teacher, then this God's grace that He's giving to me, the teacher, the Holy Spirit which resides in me, can help me do these things just mentioned to you. It will help me to deny ungodliness. It will help me to deny worldly lust. It will help me to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Now, the Holy Spirit is part of God's grace, and He is our teacher, 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, let me challenge you in this, and I'll end with this. The challenge is, is not to compare myself with someone else, or not to compare my family to someone else's family, or not to compare my situation with someone else's situation, but in every situation that I see, I take my situation and I compare it to the Word of God. Is this making sense? You take what happens to you and you compare it to the truth of God's Word. When he says the Holy Ghost uh, teacheth, he said he's telling us not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit, which resides in us, teaches us something. And so what is it that he teaches us? He says you're going to compare spiritual things with spiritual. You take those things that happen in your life and you look at them in relationship to the truth of God's Word. Now we all have difficulties, we all have troubles, and we all have trials. And there hath no temptation taken us, but such as is common to what? Man, but God is what? Faithful. He's faithful, isn't he? Now, he's never going to suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but he will, with that temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I believe that way of escape is by the power of the Holy Spirit which worketh in us, that teaches us the truth of God's Word, that can bring us to the place where we have a spiritual understanding of our situation rather than just going off and believing that it's based upon what man thinks rather than what God teaches. We need to get to the place where we realize Grace is our teacher. We're to be living our life in response to God's grace.